Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. It's a pleasure to be back. We've been traveling uh, on our annual mission trip a little bit more than about that as, uh, uh, as the sermon proceeds. A uh, quick uh, explanation about our sermon series, and then we'll jump into the subject for this morning. So in the season of Lent, one of the purposes of Lent traditionally has been to prepare converts for baptism. So Easter being a prime candidate for a day in which you would baptize a new convert. And so the lessons in the Old Testament especially kind of give a sweep of Old Testament, a sweep of history, of the biblical history of the story of the people of God. And there's many ways you could tell the story of the people of God, uh, big events, uh, significant characters. One way that you can tell the story of God's people and his plan for salvation is through the different covenants that God made with his people. So what's a covenant? A covenant is a promise. It's a promise made between important people about important things with important consequences. And there's about five covenants that God made with his people. A covenant with Noah, we heard that. There will be a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses, a covenant with David, new covenant with Jer- the promise of a new covenant with Jeremiah. In our communion service, you'll hear uh, Peter say these words of uh, over, over as he consecrates the elements that Jesus instituted a new covenant, the final covenant in his blood. So covenants are a big deal in the Bible. And it's one way that we can look at God's interaction with his people through the different covenants that he made. Now, each one of these covenants, we're going to start with Noah, and each one of these covenants builds on one another. It's not like the covenant with, the next covenant replaces the, the previous. No, uh, the covenant with Abraham builds upon the covenant with Noah. The the covenant Moses builds on the covenant of Noah and Abraham. So they build together and they culminate in uh, the covenant that Jesus offers to us. So with that disclaimer, let's jump into our text. This is the covenant that God made. The first time we see the word covenant is with uh, God's interaction with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. You can see some sermon notes in the back of your service leaflet. Uh, three points to make One, we're going to look at why the covenant will be a first little uh, brief explanation of what the covenant was. You heard it. It's a covenant of preservation. God says, I will no longer, I will never again strike all living things from the earth. It's a covenant of preservation. God's creation will continue. And I'll say more, but that's at the heart of this first initial covenant. God's creation will continue. We're going to ask three questions. First, why is that necessary? Second, we're going to look at the content of the covenant, what it actually says, and then we're going to ask, what does it lead to? Okay, so why is it necessary that God makes this covenant that he will preserve all creation. He will preserve all human life. He will no longer act in judgment. So that's our first question. To answer that question, we have to back a little bit up in the story of of, uh, Noah. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, 6, Excuse me, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read this. The Lord saw the wickedness of man, and it was great, that every intention of his heart was continually bent towards evil, and it grieved God in his heart. It gre- God is personally and intimately and passionately connected to his creation. 
When God's creation honors him and loves him and does what is right, God rejoices over his creation with singing. That's from the prophet Zephaniah. I will rejoice over you with song. That is intimate. That parents may sing over their children. Lovers sing to one another. That is an intimate celebration. And the opposite is true as well. When God's creation turns from him, God is intimately and passionately upset. And we're told that he is grieved in his heart. And one expression of his grief is, as you know, the flood. It's an expression of grief that comes in the form of judgment. So that is why the covenant of preservation is necessary. But before we get there, just one implication. God is grieved by human sin. One implication for us is that so should we. I don't know if you heard that opening stanza of our gospel hymn, but it said, help us to mourn. Help us to mourn our sin. In our Ash Wednesday service, we prayed this, very similar. Grant us grace to desire you with our whole heart. Desiring you, we may seek you. Seeking you, we may find you. Finding you, we may love you. Loving you, we may hate those sins from which you have delivered us. Raise your hand if you hate your own sin. None of us do. You and I excel at pointing out the sins in other peoples, in other cultures. We uh, just returned from our mission trip, and it was great. Uh, And I am good at pointing out the faults and foibles of another culture. So, quick story, we were driving in, we're f- driving, uh, if only, we're flying into this place called Marsibis. So we fly into Nairobi and we continue to get more and more and more remote. Uh, so we travel by plane, a uh, little small plane, a lot of turbulence, I don't like it at all. And we're flying into Marsibit, which is fairly far away, not as far away as we actually ended up. And uh, we're flying in, and I notice the pilot is not decelerating. He is instead is accelerating because there just happens to be a car driving on the runway. Very few roads, so, you know, I guess in the aeronautical world, you call that a touch and go, an unintentional touch and go. Uh, a little side story. The point of this anecdote is in the town of Marsibit, there have been 300 lives lost within the year because of tribal conflict, tribalism. Not political factions, not Republicans versus Democrats, not religious conflict, Muslims versus tribalism. Just long-seated ethnic conflict. And from coming in from the outside, I can, what are you guys thinking? You, same people, same culture, you look the same, you act that you... It's easy for me to point out the faults and foibles of another. Now coming back, what about our own culture? Am I as... Are my eyes as open to the, the materialism, the love of luxury the, the, uh, that is a part of? No, I'm blind to it. On a more personal level, if you want to know your sin, talk to me. I can, I'll, I'll happily tell you. <laughs> do, do I have the same sort of scrupulosity about myself? No. And that is one of the disciplines of Lent. Help me to grieve my sin. Help me to know it. Those people who don't think about their own sin make up for it by thinking about the sins of other people. It's one of the Lenten disciplines. Help me to hate what you hate. 
God hates sin, so should we. There's a great poem that's included in your service leaflet. It's made into a beautiful song, Drop, Drop, Slow Tear by Orlando Gibbons, who wrote, Drop, Drop, it's an interpretation of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus with her tears. You know that story? A woman of ill repute bathes the Lord's feet with her tears. And Orlando Gibbons writes, drop, drop slow tears and bathe those beautiful feet that brought from heaven the news and prince of peace. Cease not my wet eyes, his mercy to entreat. To cry for vengeance, sin doth never cease. In your great flood drowned all my faults and my fears, nor let your eyes see my sin but through my tears. That is a stirring image. It, the, the poet Gibbons imagines the sinful woman entreating the Savior to look her, at her sin, but only look at her sin through the lens of her tears. When is the last time you shed tears for your own sin? Lent is the time to do so. May God give us the grace of grief. So to our second point, God's promise of preservation is Necessary because God is personally grieved by human sin, and one expression of his grief is judgment. Therefore, God says, I will no longer act in judgment towards my people. Very vivid image. Uh, in verse 13 of chapter 9, we read that God has hung his bow in the sky. It's almost a comical image that God has the warrior bow, right? So the bow and arrow. And it's, the image is almost as if God is going to act towards judgment. And he says, wait, wait, wait. I've seen my bow. I've hung it in the sky. And I will not act. Right? So that is God's reminder. The covenants come with a sign. Uh, the covenant of marriage has a sign of a ring. The covenant of preservation comes with a sign of a rainbow. And so every time God sees his bow in the sky, he remembers, no, I will not. I will show patience. I will let creation continue. Because here is the problem, one of the problem, problems with sin, if I could say it like this, is that the consequences of sin are never immediate. Right? So if you're from the outside looking in, if you're not a Christian, you think, you know, you Christians, you're always talking about sin and how bad it is and how much God doesn't like it and how much it will make you feel guilty and how, the terrible con. Here's my problem, Christians, is I sin all the time, and it's just not that bad. Right? Sin has delayed consequences. And that's what this passage is telling us, that God is, the, the, the consequences of sin will be delayed. Interestingly, why? Because God has hung his bow in the sky. Uh, movies do a good job of showing the uh, the delayed consequences of sin. My wife and I recently watched House of Gucci, which we can't re uh, fully recommend due to some, uh, you know, uh, well, we can't fully recommend, but <laughs> it's one of these movies where you can see it coming. It's a little bit of greed that works into the family life. And yet, I know how this one's going to end, and it's not going to be good. Why? Because the consequences of sin immediately catch up or eventually catch up, not immediately. They inevitably catch up. And this has two implications. One is an implication for the sinner, and secondly, it has an implication for those who are sinned against. The implication for the sinners is, do not take God's lack of immediate action as a sign for his indifference. God has not ceased to be grieved by human sin. It's just that he has ceased to act immediately. 
Second Peter chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter three reads this: Scoffers will come following their own desires, saying, "Where is the promise of His coming?" All things continue as they were since the beginning of his creation. In other words, scoffers are going to say just what I suggested. You know, you guys say don't sin. I sin all the time. What's the big deal? I don't see any judgment. All things are continuing. The message is don't let God's delayed action lull you into thinking that he is indifferent. He is not There is no immediate consequences because God has decided to hang his bow in the sky. And the same passage from 2 Peter concludes, God is not slow. He is patient, wishing that not anyone should perish, but that all should come towards repentance. God does not act with immediate judgment because he is allowing space for your repentance. One of my favorite parenting tricks is uh, when my kids were younger, they, uh, the occasional conflict between siblings, and I'd say, kids, either you solve this or I solve this. If I solve it, no one's happy. I'm going to give you space. <laughs> time, for rep- time for you to make it right. It's the same message here. God's lack of immediate judgment against human sin is to allow for your repentance and my repentance. So that's a word of caution to the, to the lazy. Secondly, a word of encouragement to those who are sinned against. And again, uh, we return to the Psalms. And one of the, most of the Psalms are written from a place of, you know, the psalmist is being oppressed and sinful people are out to get him. Psalm 10 is uh, one among many. The wicked say, God will not hold me to account. And they act that way. But the hope of the psalm ends with this. Psalm 10 ends with this assurance. Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will incline your ear. You will do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressor so that the the son of man may strike terror no more. You hear it's the same implication. It's the same truth with a different implication to those who are being sinned against. God will act. He will have, he will Judge on behalf of the fatherless. He will judge on behalf. It will just take longer than you want. Why? His bow is in the sky. So two implications from this promise. A word of caution to the lazy. A word of encouragement to the afflicted. His bow is hung in the sky. Third and final, what does this promise lead to? So we've seen why the promise is necessary. We've seen the content of the promise. Now we're going to see what the promise leads to. Back to this mission trip that we've been on. Um, And let me back up and say, uh, as I mentioned, all these covenants, they build on one another. So the covenant of Noah, uh, the the promise to Abraham builds upon that. Moses builds upon that promise. And it culminates in the promise of, Uh, the covenant of Jesus that Jesus made with his people. Back to my mission trip. So we traveled, I don't know how many miles, a lot, 15-hour flight to uh, the Middle East and then down to Nairobi, then a six-hour drive up to East Yola, then a five-hour flight in these little little planes. Again, very small, a lot of turbulence, don't like it. And uh, 
we went to a place where it is just so remote. And from that remote place, we drove another hour. And one of the reasons that I'm, uh, we're committed to Gitachu, our missionary partner, is because he is involved in the work of initial evangelization, the initial missionary work. And I don't want to discount the humanitarian work that is essential. We actually delivered uh, food and water as there's a great drought. But there is an initial, there's initial missionary work, which is a simple proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Like that is at the heart. There's a lot else, but that's at the heart. And uh, we, we were able to participate. We met with people who had not, had heard about Jesus and just didn't care. No, people who had never known of a savior who died for them. And when we got to these places, and you can see some videos, some photos, or great photos uh, out in the reception area, the good news that we shared was not that God is patient. Yay, God is patient. That's good. But it's not the great news. The it's not worth traveling five days to tell people that God is patient with your sin. The good news of the gospel is that God's not only patient, that he's gracious. And that in the fullness of time, in his patience, he allowed for another solution to the problem of human sin. And that is he sent his own son, Jesus, to die for you and me. So that through him, we might have life. Through him, the, the flood waters that we deserve may, would cover him. Uh, that's put in poetic form by an anonymous author who writes this. My bow between you and me in the firmament shall be. Right, so it's the bow. The author observed, the string is turned towards you. Right, so imagine the, the bow and arrow. The string is pointed where? Pointed heavenward. Uh, the bow towards me is bent the bow. What the author is speculating, and it's certainly a poetic rendition, but he's... He's, a, he's speculating that that bow turned towards heaven is an indicator that God will one day uh, send the waters of the flood over his own beloved son. And that's where the promise culminates. So let me summarize. We've seen why the promise is necessary because God is grieved by his creation. When his creation turns from him, you and I should ask for the gift of grief. Secondly, we've seen God has promised to preserve. We should, it's a word of caution to the lazy, don't take the lack of immediate action as God's indifference. He is not. He is patient. That's a word of comfort to the afflicted. Don't think that God has forgotten you. He will act with justice against the fatherless or for the fatherless, for the orphans. It will just take longer. Third and final, Let's remember that God has pointed his bow at himself. And though we deserve the waters of the, of the flood, another has taken his place, his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise.